Our lesson this morning comes from the book of Acts, the first chapter, starting with the sixth verse of that chapter. Hear these words. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken away from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So it's been nearly 20 years ago since um, my mother passed away. And when that happens, we in the South do breaking up of the home. You show up at the house, and if you're a child of somebody that's just died, you claim what is yours, that thing from your mother's that you've wanted for your whole lifetime. So my brother, my sister, and myself all gathered, and I asked my sister Gail, since she and mom were real close and Gail lived there, I said, Gail, did mom have a will? Because mom didn't have a lot of stuff. Gail said, I don't think so, but she wrote a bunch of stuff down on a legal pad. And sure enough, we found the legal pad where mom had made all kinds of copious notes about everything. And, and we kept flipping and flipping and flipping. And there were a list of items in her house. And she'd list the items on the left and the child on the right. And she would scratch through and she'd write another child. And she would scratch through and she'd write another child. And we had things circled and drawn and arrows and all this. And on top of that big mess of paper, she'd just taken a red marker and just put a big old X across it. And in the bottom right-hand corner, she wrote these words as her final instructions. Kids, don't fight over my junk. And we didn't. We've all been in a situation where we knew we were having a final conversation where somebody was giving us final instructions. It may have been as we said goodbye to a loved one. It may have been as we took a new job. It may have been as we were graduating from high school or college. There was always this notion that somebody is saying something important and it's a matter of final instructions. And we have that recorded in 
the book of Acts, where Jesus gives his disciples final instructions. Luke tells us that he has been with the disciples, that he has taught them, he's been giving them instruction through the Holy Spirit. He has picked these men out to proclaim the gospel to the world. And now he's gone. And I think we find in the ascension story of Jesus some components, some key components that allow us as post-resurrection followers of Jesus Christ to live as just, just as powerfully and just as victoriously as these first century apostles did. And I want to share with you this morning just three words. And the first word is word. Word. Jesus taught the disciples, and Jesus used the Old Testament to teach them. In Luke's gospel, we hear Jesus say these words, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus was a man of the book. Granted, he was a man of the Old Testament, and Paul was a man of the book. Granted, he was an Old Testament, and Peter was a man of the book. It was the Old Testament. And I get amused when people say, I want to be a New Testament church. I'm thinking, well, to be a New Testament church, you've got to go all the way back to the Old Testament to get there. This book was important to Jesus. He lived out of his precepts. He taught what it taught. He walked the way the Bible proclaimed he ought to walk. And for 40 days, Jesus had been with them, teaching them. 40 days. Sound familiar? Noah's in the ark for 40 days. Moses wandered with the children of Israel for 40 years. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, and now he has spent 40 days with the disciples. 40 is a time of preparation for a greater movement. It's a time of preparation to get people ready. Even the story of the ascension, even the story of the ascension has an Old Testament harbinger. Do you know it? It's the story of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah knows that Elijah is about to be carried off, and so he starts following him around. Elijah goes to Gilgal, so Elisha follows to Gilgal. Next we go to Bethel, then we go to Jericho, then we go to the Jordan. We cross over the Jordan. And when they crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I'm taken from you. Elisha said, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, you've asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted to you. If not, it will not. And as they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. 
And Elisha picked up the mantle of Elijah and went back. And he leads the band of prophets. Jesus' ascension is a lot like, and it reminds people of, and it reminded Luke of, Elijah and Elisha. And Jesus said what to us? You, because I go to be with the Father, greater works than I have done, you will be able to do. Because why? Christ dwells within us. God's word promises us that as his people, we have power. As his people, we are not alone. As his people, we have fellowship with him. And if we're going to become the church that Christ wants us to be, if we're going to become the Christians that Jesus died for us to become, we have to become students of God's word. It's not just the pastor or the scholar. It's you. Studying, discussing, growing in your understanding of the word. Well, the second word is a word we don't like. And it pops up in the sixth verse of the text from Acts. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Do you know what that question is? That question is this, are we there yet? Are we there yet? When are we going to be there? Are we there yet? And Jesus says, hang on and wait. He's already told them that they need to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Spirit. Oh, my goodness. Wait. Isaiah said, they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What's the first thing you have to do? Wait. We're terrible at that, aren't we? Yeah. People line up in the Walmart in the self-checkout section. And I'm good. Oh, I'm good. Good. I started in retail, I'm good. But I stand there and I time people. I look at the place that I think I'm gonna end up. Oh, they're taking a long time. That, that laser will read a lot if you just slide it on through, slide it on, we don't like to wait. But Jesus said, wait, hold on. And the scripture tells us that they waited and they waited together and they waited praying. So waiting is not where we sit passively by. Waiting is where we participate in what God has called us to do. Waiting is where we ready ourselves to receive the Holy Spirit. Waiting is when we study the word prayerfully, preparing ourselves to meet God wherever he shows up. And when you wait on the Lord... All kinds of interesting things start happening. Uh, Marie and the missions team have been waiting on the Lord. They've been praying. They've been praying because they have been tasked with, with leading us to develop 
a missional vision and strategy for the church that is Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And it's hard for staff people to wait because they, want, they, they like to do. They need to be doing something. And this whole Compassion Weekend that popped up, and that's how it happened, it popped up. It popped up because we were waiting on God. We were waiting for God to do something. We were waiting for God to lead us. We were waiting to see what God wanted to do and what God wanted to bless. And a group of women said, we've been involved in this. We've been praying about this, and, and we're just convicted that the church ought to be involved in this. And so they brought it to us, and we thought about it and prayed about it. And it seemed to be that we had been waiting for a moment just like this. What if one of the strategies to grow a church is to wait I don't like that. I want to write me some mission statements. I want to come up with some procedures. I want to have an outline of everything. I don't want to wait. But Jesus told the early church, hang on. Wait. Now, one day I'll tell you how I think this fits in with the selection of Matthias as the next apostle, but today you're not going to get that in the sermon, so I'm going to my third word. And it's found in the eighth verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. There it is. My witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And the apostles heard Jesus say this, and they went, really, Lord? Really? You're sending us to Jerusalem? Lord, do you know what they did to you in Jerusalem? Yes, you do. They crucified you. Lord, do you know what Judea's like? It's got a bunch of hostile Jews, and it's got the hostile Roman army. We don't like them either. And Samaria, they are our enemies. And you're sending us to them. And the uttermost parts of the earth, that's all the Roman Empire out there. They're all enemies. Jesus, why are you sending us to enemy territory? Why are you sending us to places that people are going to be hostile to what you have done for us? They're going to be hostile to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does it sound like the world in which we live? Does it sound like Jesus may have been preparing us to be witnesses for him in this time and in this place? Yes. I think it does. You shall be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. You know, back in the 70s, you could grow a church Man, it was so easy to grow a church in the 1970s. All you had to do was to act like it was 1955. You had to have a big traveling youth choir. You needed a revival at least once a year, preferably in August, right before school starts. You had to have a great newsletter, good Sunday school and great worship. And by the way, you had to have the perfect preacher. And you know about the perfect preacher. He's 27 years old with 30 years experience, tall and short, 
thin and heavy set, handsome but not overpowering, one brown eye, one blue eye. His hair is parted in the middle and is straight on one side, wavy on the other side, and there's a balding spot revealing maturity. He constantly works with the youth and spends all of his time with senior citizens visiting in nursing homes and shut-ins. The perfect pastor is talented, gifted, scholarly, practical, popular, compassionate, understanding, patient, level-headed, dependable, loving, caring, neat, organized, cheerful, and above all, humble. So if you had... 55 mentality, 1955 happy days mentality in your church, traveling youth choir, you had revivals, a newsletter, and Sunday school and worship, you could grow a church. By the time we got to the 1990s, it was pretty easy still to grow a church. You did VIM in a church that's volunteer missions. You signed up for weekends away, either Crucio, walked to Emmaus. You did disciple Bible studies, and you could grow a church. And then the contemporary worship movement broke out. Mickey Cloud and I compare scars about dealing with the contemporary worship movement in the church. You know, people couldn't believe they'd bring an acoustical guitar in church, and then they brought in drums and amplifiers. Oh, my goodness. And for a while, that's all you had to do to grow a church, and then you had to have absolute scintillating social media. You had to have great TikTok, Instagram Facebook, all this other stuff. I'm tired of Kyle McCaskill ruining my Facebook feed. He puts me on it and I see myself. You have not been disturbed until you see yourself on Facebook. And I'm in a reel too. I'm talking. And now the church is talking about leadership. We've got to be great leaders. We've got to be leaders that can make all these changes in the church and lead through changes. And we've got adaptive changes and all this other stuff. And I'm always sitting in the back of the room. I don't see any place where Jesus called us to be leaders. He said, follow me. But if you do all that, you grow a church. There are two things I want to say about that. We got to decide what kind of church we're going to be. Are we going to be a rowboat church or a sailboat church? About this time of year, down on the Cane River in Natchitoches, the rowing teams of all the universities have gathered on the Cane River Lake. And they are practicing. And they bring in these long boats and they sit single file. Some have their oars over here. Some have their oars over here. And it is majestic to watch them. The oars go in the water at the same time. They come out of the water at the same time. They go in, they come out. They go in, they come out. And it is just really cool. LSU's boat is purple with the LSU letters in gold. Alabama Crimson Tide actually has a boat. There is a white boat with a scripted A on the side of it. So you've got all these Southeastern Conference teams that have their boats. Plus, you've got all these Ivy League schools. And so Natchitoches is just filled with a couple of, for a couple of weeks with all these college kids 
and they're rowing and they are working hard. You ought to see them when they get out of the water after a couple of hours of this. They're going up and down and up and down that river and they're exhausted and they're dehydrated and they look like they just run a bunch of football wind sprints. And brothers and sisters, that's what the church has become. We just keep rowing away, rowing, 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 rowing. We try things that absolutely do not work. And do you know what our solution is? Next year, we're going to try the same thing, only going to do it harder. We are exhausting ourselves trying to grow a church. We're trying to grow a church. And Jesus said, my word and wait. You need to be a sailboat church. You need to just catch the wind of the Holy Spirit and go where the Holy Spirit guides you. Oh, Brother Doug, we can't do that. We have to have a three-point mission statement. We have to put it on our coffee mugs. We have to know what we're going to do so we can put it on our website. Let's just say we're going to follow Jesus wherever he goes. We're going to follow him wherever he goes. How's that? Can we do that? But the other thing that's left out in this is you are the key. You are the key. You're the witness. It didn't matter if it was the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, 2000s. You are the key to the movement of God in the church. What's God calling you to do? And how is God calling you to be his witness? I like what the NIV translates the 107th Psalm. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. And that's what you're called to do, is to tell your story. How God has moved in your life. How God has transformed you. How God has used you. How God has saved you and blessed you. Three words. Word and wait and witness. That's how we create a body of Christ that will change our community and our world. Lots been going on at Trinity. A lot of um, strange things that I've never seen in a church before have been happening. A couple of weeks ago, outside the offices were these big stacks of boxes. They were everywhere. And I asked, because I was curious, what are these big stacks of boxes? And Kim said, well, we've gotten rid of a lot of our, lead, our, our, lot of our materials and records and things like this, and we've called the shredder. I said, cool. Don't anybody worry. These records were so old, they were typed on a typewriter. They were typed using carbon paper. Do you remember carbon paper? So the shredder was coming, and the shredder's going to pick this all up, and Kim said, do you want anything shredded? And I walked back in my office, and I started opening my lateral file drawers. And I looked, 
and I started picking up file folders. It took me a while to do it. Because the first 25 years I was a minister, I preached from a manuscript. Every word I was going to say was written on a piece of paper. And they were single-spaced manuscripts. I threw away or I had shredded 25 years worth of sermons. Over 10,000 pages of work. Now, the great theologian Doug McGuire said, if a sermon's worth preaching once, it's worth preaching again. And I, I was reading some of these sermons as I, before I took them down there, and I'm thinking, Whew, I need to write a couple of letters to churches apologizing for this sermon. I mean, they were just, they were embarrassing. But I thought, symbolically, I'm joining the journey that we're all on together. That what we have been and what we have done in the past has taught us and informed us and shaped us and brought us closer to each other and closer to Jesus Christ. And I'm cool with that. But I just decided I didn't need to have all that traveling with, life, with me in life that I needed to spend time in prayer with the Word, waiting on God, telling my story and telling the story of how God is using us to be witnesses for Jesus. So it was an act of joining together with you as a church to say, we're going to figure this all out together and we're going to go where God is and we're going to seek him and his leadership and his direction and it's going to be a fun ride to see what God does with such a wonderful group of people who gather at a place called Trinity would you stand and pray with me God we pray that as we are your witnesses that we would be faithful in that calling and task. Bless us, O Lord, as we discover you in surprising places. Bless us, O God, as we attach ourselves to the people that you're calling us to. And bless us as we live out your word. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.